This is part two of The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Well, the 4th of July is over. The people are all gone, and I am tired out. John thought it might do me good to see a little company, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny sees to everything now. But it tired me all the same. John says if I don't pick up faster, he shall send me to Weir Mitchell in the fall. But I don't want to go there at all. I had a friend who was in his hands once, and she says he is just like John and my brother, only more so. Besides, it is such an undertaking to go so far. I don't feel as if it was worthwhile to turn my hand over for anything, and I'm getting dreadfully fretful and querulous. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. Of course I don't, when John is here or anybody else, but when I am alone, and I am alone a good deal just now. John is kept in town very often by serious cases, and Ginny is good and lets me alone when I want her to. So I walk a little in the garden or down that lovely lane and sit on the porch under the roses and lie down up here a good deal. I'm getting really fond of the room in spite of the wallpaper. Perhaps because of the wallpaper. It dwells in my mind so. I lie here on this great immovable bed, it is nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. It is as good as gymnastics, I assure you. I start, we'll say, at the bottom, down in the corner over there where it has not been touched, and I determine for the thousandth time that I will follow that pointless pattern to some sort of conclusion. I know a little of the principle of design, and I know this thing was not arranged on any laws of radiation or alternation or repetition or symmetry or anything else that I ever heard of. It is repeated, of course, by the breadths, but not otherwise. Looked at in one way, each breadth stands alone. The bloated curves and flourishes, a a kind of debased Romanesque with delirium trimmings, go waddling up and down in isolated columns of fatuity. But on the other hand, they connect diagonally, and the sprawling outlines run off in great slanting waves of optic horror, like, like a lot of wallowing seaweeds in full chaos. The whole thing goes horizontally, too. At least, it seems so, and I exhaust myself in trying to distinguish the order of its going in that direction. They have used... A horizontal breadth for a frieze? And that adds wonderfully to the confusion. There is one end of the room where it is almost intact. And there, when the cross lights fade and the low sun shines directly upon it, I can almost fancy radiation after all. The interminable grotesques seem to form around a common center and rush off in headlong plunges of equal distraction. It makes me tired to follow it. I will take a nap, I guess. I don't know why I should write this. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know John would think it absurd. But I must say what I feel and think in some way it is such a relief. But the effort is getting to be greater than the relief. Half the time now, I am awfully lazy and lie down ever so much. 
John says, I mustn't lose my strength, and has me take cod liver oil and lots of tonics and things, to say nothing of ale and wine and rare meat. Dear John, he loves me dearly and hates to have me sick. I tried to have a real earnest reasonable talk with him the other day and tell him how I wish he would let me go and make a visit to Cousin Henry and Julia. But he said I wasn't able to go, nor able to stand it after I got there. And I did not make out a very good case for myself, for I was crying before I had finished. It is getting to be a great effort for me to think straight. Just this nervous weakness, I suppose. And dear John gathered me up in his arms and just carried me upstairs and laid me on the bed and sat by me and read to me till it tired my head. He said I was his darling and his comfort and all he had and that I must take care of myself for his sake and keep well. He says no one but myself can help me out of it and that I must use my will and self-control and not let any silly fancies run away with me. There's one comfort. The baby is well and happy and does not have to occupy this nursery with the horrid wallpaper. If we had not used it, that blessed child would have. Ah, oh, what a fortunate escape! Why, I wouldn't have a child of mine, an impressionable little thing, live in such a room of worlds. Oh, I never thought of it before, but it is lucky that John kept me here after all. I can stand it so much easier than a baby, you see. Of course... I never mention it to them any more. I am too wise. But I keep watch of it all the same. There are things in that paper that nobody knows but me, or ever will. Behind that outside pattern, the dim shapes get clearer every day. It is always the same shape, only very numerous. And it is like a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. I don't like it a bit. I wonder. I begin to think. Oh, I wish John would take me away from here. It is so hard to talk with John about my case, because he is so wise and because he loves me so. But I tried it last night. It was moonlight. The moon shines in all around just as the sun does. I hate to see it sometimes. It creeps so slowly and always comes in by one window or another. John was asleep and I hated to wake him, so I kept still and watched the moonlight on that undulating wallpaper till I felt creepy. The faint figure behind seemed to shake the pattern just as if she wanted to get out. I got up softly and went to feel and see if the paper did move. And when I came back, John was awake. What is it, little girl? He said. Don't go walking about like that. You'll get cold. I thought it was a good time to talk, so I told him that I really was not gaining here and that I wished he would just take me away. Why, darling, said he, our lease will be up in three weeks, and I can't see how to leave before. The repairs are not done at home, and I cannot possibly leave town just now. Of course, if you were in any danger, I could and would, but you really are better, dear, whether you can see it or not. I am a doctor, and I know. You are gaining flesh and color, 
Your appetite is better. I feel really much easier about you. I don't weigh a bit more, said I, nor as much, and my appetite may be better in the evening when you are here, but it is worse in the morning when you are away. Bless her little heart, said he with a big hug. She shall be as sick as she pleases. But now, let's improve the shining hours by going to sleep and talk about it in the morning. And you won't go away? I asked. Why, how can I, dear? It is only three weeks more, and then we will take a nice little trip for a few days while Jenny is getting the house ready. Really, dear, you are better. Better in body, perhaps? I began and stopped short, for he sat up straight and looked at me with such a stern, reproachful look that I could not say another word. My darling, said he, I beg of you, for my sake and for our child's sake, as well as for your own, that you will never, for one instant, let that idea enter your mind. There is nothing so dangerous, so fascinating, to a temperament like yours. It is a false and foolish fancy. Can you not trust me as a physician when I tell you so? So, of course, I had no more on that score, and we went to sleep before long. He thought I was asleep first, but I wasn't. I lay there for hours, trying to decide whether that front pattern and the back pattern really did move together or separately. On a pattern like this, by daylight, there is a lack of sequence, a defiance of law, that is a constant irritant to a normal mind. The color is hideous enough, and unreliable enough, and infuriating enough. But the pattern is torturing. You think you have it mastered, but just as you get well underway and following, it turns a back somersault and there you are. It slaps you in the face, knocks you down, and tramples upon you. It is like a bad dream. The outside pattern is a florid arabesque reminding one of a fungus. If you can imagine a toadstool in joints, an interminable string of toadstools budding and sprouting in endless convolutions, why, that is something like it. That is, sometimes. There is one marked peculiarity about this paper, a thing nobody seems to notice but myself, and that is that it changes as the light changes. When the sun shoots in through the east window, I always watch for that first long straight ray. It changes so quickly that I never can quite believe it. That is why I watch it always. By moonlight, the moon shines in all night when there is a moon, I wouldn't know it was the same paper. At night, in any kind of light, twilight, candlelight, lamplight, and worst of all by moonlight, it becomes bars. The outside pattern, I mean. And the woman behind it is as plain as can be. I didn't realize for a long time what the thing was that showed behind, that dim sub-pattern, but now I am quite sure it is a woman. By daylight, she is subdued and quiet. I fancy it is the pattern that keeps her so still. Oh, it is so puzzling. It keeps me quiet by the hour. I lie down ever so much now, and John says it is good for me and to sleep all I can. Indeed, he started the habit by making me lie down for an hour after each meal. 
It is a very bad habit, I am convinced, for you see, I don't sleep, and that cultivates deceit, for I don't tell them I'm awake. Oh, no, the fact is, I am getting a little afraid of John. He seems very queer sometimes, and even Ginny has an inexplicable look. It strikes me occasionally, just as a scientific hypothesis, that perhaps it is the paper. I have watched John, when he did not know I was looking, come into the room suddenly on the most innocent excuses, and I have caught him several times looking at the paper. And Ginny, too, I caught Ginny with her hand on it once. She didn't know I was in the room, and when I asked her in a quiet, a very quiet voice, with the most restrained manner possible, what she was doing with the paper, she turned around as if she had been caught stealing and looked quite angry, asking me why I should frighten her so. Then she said that the paper stained everything it touched, that she found yellow smooches on all the clothes and and on John's, and she wished we would be more careful. Did not that sound innocent? But I know she was studying that pattern, and I am determined that nobody shall find it out but myself. Life is very much more exciting now than it used to be. You see, I have something more to expect, to look forward to, to watch. I really do eat better and am more quiet than I was. John is so pleased to see me improve. He laughed a little the other day and and said I seemed to be flourishing in spite of my wallpaper. I turned it off with a laugh. I had no intention of telling him it was because of the wallpaper. He would make fun of me. He might even want to take me away. I don't want to leave now until I have found it out. There is a week more, and I think that will be enough. Stay tuned to our podcast to listen to the rest of the story. As your cup empties and the final words of our story linger in the air, we hope you have enjoyed this brief escape into the world of classic tales. Join us again on the next episode of A Cup of Fiction. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you really loved the episode, consider buying the narrator a coffee on our Patreon page. Until next time, may your moments be filled with the inspiration of the joy of a good story.